0: Hi guys, before we start this week's episode of The Expanse, I just wanted to make you aware that we did experience some slight audio issues when we were recording this episode. As such, when you hear Chris Hill speak, you may hear just some ever so slight static sound uh, under his voice uh, we've done our best to remove this from the episode so it uh, should not harm your enjoyment at all but if you do notice it we are aware of it we've tried to fix it and hopefully beyond the next episode as well uh, you won't have to hear that ever again on our show
1: computer initialize Hollow Suite.
0: to episode 34 of the expanse a star trek enterprise podcast. My name is Kyle. I am one of your two hosts on this episode. Uh, the other host is Chris Hill. Chris, how are you?
1: Doing pretty good, how about yourself,
0: Kyle? I have got my all my kids back in school, so I am a Uh, A free man on some of the daytimes now, which is great. And excited for the future of Star Trek, my man. As we record this today, uh, the CBS All Access has changed to Paramount+, Plus, which doesn't affect me in the UK right now, but I'm sure the service will launch over here eventually. But, you know, you see all the imagery for Paramount+, and it's just Discovery and Picard right at the front of it. And it just feels so good as a trackie, and I feel so safe. As a Trekkie right now, as well, knowing that Trek is at the front of every, like the forefront of what Paramount Plus is all about. CBS All Access, I think, existed in some form before Discovery came about, wasn't it? But Discovery was like the first real push for original content. But I think that Paramount Plus is, I guess, the first time that the service has launched with Star Trek at the the front of it. Before we get into this week's episode, do not forget to rate us on your podcast app. And hit that subscribe button, please. We know we have a lot of new listeners uh, recently. We do track these figures daily. And it would be great to have you subscribe to us and stick with us as we uh, continue our journey through Star Trek Enterprise. A massive thank you to our Patreon supporters. We've had a few more join us in recent weeks, actually. We've more than doubled our number of patrons in the last couple of weeks. So uh, we're delighted to have uh, all our new people on board. And don't forget you can become a Patreon supporter and gain all sorts of wonderful rewards by signing up at patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash nx01podcast. This week we are talking about episode 7 of season 2, which happened to be called The Seventh, which always kind of weirded me out that the seventh episode was called The Seventh. I don't know if it was intentional on their part. Uh, yeah, the basic plot for this episode is that uh, T'Pol it turns out has a bit of a military background, and she's been contacted by by her home world to basically finish off a mission that went wrong many years before. Uh, there was one person who got away, so she's been tasked with getting that person back because uh, he's resurfaced. So um, she goes along with this. It brings back some painful memories, and she asks Archer to go along with her, as does Travis. Eventually they find Menos and he tries to tell some sob story about how he's got family and all these things and please don't take him back. Uh, he used to be a Vulcan, he's changed how he looks now, see. That was like the first, I guess, two-thirds of the episode and then in the uh, the final bit we find out actually that he was lying, he was a bad guy, he was selling weapons to, I can't remember who it was to, like naughty people anyway, evil people. And then uh, to Paul, who had started to second guess herself and was thinking about letting him go, realised that she was actually correct, and Archer gave her the impetus to shoot him in the back. <laughs> Menos to shoot Menos in the back as he was uh, running away, and that was uh, that was pretty much it. That was the episode. It was done. That's sort of my quick breakdown of the episode. Chris, if you had to pick three moments that stood out for you in this episode, what would they be?
1: Definitely. Uh... Trip inviting flocks and and Reed into the captain's mess to to have a meal. Uh, that's <laughs>
0: yeah, one. Yeah.
1: I'd say when they're first interviewing uh, Manos after they've got him kind of chained there to the to the end of the bar and him kind of you know going through his whole spiel about his about his life. That'd be the next one. Um, and then the last one I'd say when Archer and Mayweather Manos tries to get him to go into the closet. He's like, "We don't do nice and easy that that well," or something like that.
0: I agree with you on the Captain's Mess one, when Trip trips all uh, playing Captain and has Reed and Flocks in there. I actually said a couple of weeks ago that I didn't think we saw Flocks in the Captain's Mess again after uh, Unexpected. But I was sure enough yeah. proven wrong <laughs> straight away on this episode. Don't know if he was in there again after this, but I, I dare not commit to any answer now after being proven wrong. I thought all the stuff with Tripp was... Hilarious in this episode, uh, and it all started yeah, with that captain's mess scene. Uh, so, of those three, then, uh, which would you say was your absolute favorite moment of the seventh?
1: It's got to be a coin flip between the uh, the captain's mess and then there towards the end with with Archer and Mayweather. You know, kind of rescuing going to pull.
0: Okay, flip that coin then.
1: All right. So, so I've got my little medallion that I got from my uh, Archer Archer's uh, captain's chair set. We'll say the heads is is. It shows the Enterprise. Tails is the the company that made it. Heads will be the the captain's mess, and Tails will be the rescue of T'Pol.
0: This is a first for us, by the way. We've never used a coin to try and decide the, the favorite uh, slash best moment of the episode. I'm going to stand by the results of this as well for myself. So, Chris, in your own time, please flip that coin.
1: And of course it goes on top of my desk.
0: Well, that was an anti anticlimax.
1: <laughs> it is tail. so to getting rescued.
0: Okay, so to rescued. Does that include the final bit where she has to shoot uh, shoot Menos in the back when Archer's like telling her to take the shot? Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. I'll, I'll I'll go with that then. So let's talk about T'Pol then. That's really a sort of good segue for us onto the uh, the next bits I want to de- discuss with you. So you know, this was season two, or like we said, seventh episode. Mm-hmm. We've known we seen Depaul for gosh 32 episodes before this so how do we feel about Depaul having been assigned to the Ministry of Security prior to her work for the Vulcan Science Directorate because we didn't know this about her at all this was the first time we ever had got any mention of it so you know how did that sit even now when you rewatch it does it does it feel right?
1: I mean there's there's a lot of things that we don't know about our characters before we actually meet them so to me it did seem odd that it took you know 32 episodes for us to find this out about her i actually think it took longer for us to find out that tulok was on the excelsior in star trek six but that's neither here nor there the janeway can, can take care of that
0: <laughs> i was just listening to that today actually holosweetmediacom forward slash podcast so forward slash the janeway for anyone who's curious about our voyager podcast so this this wasn't like an issue for you at all then, you were quite happy to just get this layover background,
1: yeah, I mean, I would have liked to to have known about this maybe a little bit sooner, but there again, I can kinda of understand you know that the outside world influences having them wait almost a full year or over a full year to find
0: this out, yeah, it kind of reminds me of Malcolm Reed as well with the section thirty one mm-hmm. in that we didn't find out about that until season four in the back half of season four, in fact, so um very similar kind of things i guess he would well i don't know if i can't remember if he was doing missions for section 31 or if he was just basically providing intel but reed and to paul almost had a similar history i guess in that sense
1: the went to an entirely different branch than reed did
0: afterwards yeah and and to paul's i guess was more legitimate even at the start um, with, with the security stuff that she was doing i mean did this feel in character though for what we for what we knew of her and maybe what we knew after as well, like this bit of a history, did it feel right for T'Pol? I know you said it's nice to find these layers, these things out and things like that, but did this feel right? Did it fit?
1: Considering that we never really, they never really brought it back up again, hmm. it, it doesn't. But there again, you know, probably cut out, a scene or two cut out of, of an episode here or there that would have continued it.
0: Yeah, I I wonder with the... This whole thing with DePaul is that they tried to use the excuse of the uh, Vulcan monks or whatever it was that uh, sort of made her forget the memories uh, of this. Uh, So that's kind of why we wouldn't have really heard about it. Uh, By the way, I did appreciate the shout out to uh, the uh, monastery. uh, Pajem That uh, was in the Andorian incident, obviously. So she'd been there to have this done. Yeah, I kind of get they were trying to find a reason for why we may not know this kind of stuff already, but it did feel a little out of character for what we knew of T'Pol anyway. She has typically avoided violence until this point on the show. And so to find out that she was working security before and was aggressively chasing down, uh, you know, wanted criminals, so to speak, I, I don't know for me, if it fits. But it did add an interesting layer to her character. And I guess a question with that then would be, you know, should we have had this episode earlier? So this whole thing with Archer in this episode, he's finding out more about T'Pol and she's really putting trust in him and and asking him to come with her. And and let's not forget, Archer was a bit of a dick to her as well uh, when she couldn't provide him with information. And this was really sort of, early days archer with a sort of stick up his ass about the Vulcans. uh like everything about this episode to me personally makes me think that this should have been like the seventh episode of season one yeah. you know this would have been a, a great time to peel some layers back on paul create that trust between archer and to and uh and really sort of be the the final step in getting them to be working with each other almost. I mean, uh, would you concur with that? Definitely. We've had a few like this, haven't we, where we've said this should have been, from the same part of season two, actually, because we said this about the communicator. Yeah. If you remember, which is actually, I believe it's the... The next episode. where we said, if we had these episodes in season one, this would have worked even better. Mm -hmm. I do believe writers changed between season one and two. I think Brandon like sacked most of the writers at some point on the show, and I swear it was between season one and two. So maybe we had some new people coming on board with some fresh ideas that they would yeah. have pitched in season one. I'm not sure. But this definitely would have been a much more significant episode, I think, earlier in the run. And it wouldn't have stood out so much about Paul's past that we find out in this. Because if it had been in season one, early season one, we wouldn't have known anything about her past. Yeah. Or how she is now to, to really be a bit like, oh, I don't know if that works. Because it would have been one of the first things we were finding out about her. Uh, so I don't know, just a uh, just a thought. One day we'll have to do a list of how we would how we would reorganize Enterprise uh, to tell the story in the most uh, in the strongest way.
1: Yeah. So so like maybe maybe swap swap this one out with like Terra Nova or something like that for. for
0: yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Right around that, and then you build into the Andorian incident, then, which is talking about which is Appajem, Sorry, and oh yeah, gosh. Okay, I've decided. We're going to have to do that in <laughs> a future a future episode. Uh, so I'll take you on to my, uh, my next question then is, you know, you kind of alluded to this. Do you think the show should have called back to this part of her history more often? Was it explored enough once we found out about it for you?
1: For, for me, yeah, they definitely should have come back to this. Because I don't really recall them ever mentioning this again. It's just a, like a typical... Like a typical TNG thread, where you know they put it in there, and they never go back to it.
0: Yeah, I, I think it never comes up again. Off the top of my head, I can't think of a time when uh, when it's referenced. Which is, I guess, a little bit more frustrating because this was such a significant thing to add to Paul's background. Um, which you know we just we're talking about does it fit or not? But then for them to not use it as a uh, like a a launching point for further characterization with her seems a bit uh, whack. I mean, you could, I guess you could headcanon it and think like she struggled emotionally really yeah. with what she thought she'd done, uh, which we're going to come on to my next question. So you could maybe tie that into season three when she starts uh, having the, uh, the Trillium D, was, yeah, Trillium D, uh, Trillium D addiction and starting to play around with emotions. So you could kind of say that this was the, one of the seeds being planted for that, I don't think that's deliberate on the show's part, but I think you could look at it as a as a viewer watching her story and and sort of connect the dots. Yeah, I just alluded to it then. So uh, T'Pol obviously is having flashbacks in this episode of memories she doesn't remember, and and in it she's chasing a seventh person. She was previously talking about how there was there was six. There'd been five. They'd caught them. the sixth was Menos, but there was a seventh, and T'Pol killed him. He was with Menos, but. To Paul isn't sure if she committed murder or if this if that person was actually going for their weapon. And uh, Menos I think is trying to guilt To Paul. He's saying, "Well, there's no way he would have gone to shoot you," but you know, To Paul's memory, the footage we see suggests to me, at least, yeah, that he was reaching for a weapon. So, do you think he went for his weapon?
1: Based on the memories that we have from To Paul, yes. However, we do since there's three sides to every story: person A's side, person B's side, and then what actually happened. I think he was reaching down for something, and Paul just assumed it was his weapon, and and fired. So, in her mind, she was thinking he was reaching for a weapon, but maybe he really wasn't. And I think that's sort of what leads her to, you know, kind of second-guess herself. Definitely something that, that we've seen with, with police officers all the time. Yeah,
0: it's very relevant to today. I mean, I do think that he was reaching for a weapon from the shot that we saw to me it he wasn't trying to say anything or you know he wasn't trying to be like begging her and was going to show something of a family or whatever you know he, he was just qu- quietly reaching in by his belt uh, for something so I do think it was a weapon uh, so I would say paul was within her rights to defend herself but I mean does it strike you a bit weird that there was no stun setting like Paul shot yeah. to kill yeah why would she, if, if you go out to uh, to capture these people and bring them back would you be would you be shooting to kill do the Vulcans even have stun settings? Do we know if that's a common thing everywhere or if it's just like a Starfleet thing? Because it's new to Starfleet. Yeah, new. I think, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: new to Starfleet, but I'm not sure if it's been or how long it's been around because they don't really establish that. Definitely surprised that, at least at this point, they didn't hand her a weapon that, that had the stun setting, considering what we know about the Vulcans up to that point. But then again, you know, we're also dealing with pre Kirshara Vulcans, which maybe they didn't really think about.
0: True. I mean, God, that becomes a really that becomes a really good excuse, isn't it, to try and explain away yeah. anything with the Vulcans? That's kind of where we're at with the Kishara, the pre kashara uh, Vulcans. We can say well, they did have logic, but it just wasn't the kind of logic that that we associate with the Vulcans later on. Um, I do think it was weird that she was shooting to kill. It, just, it doesn't seem logical to me. But as you said, you know these these were different Vulcans at the time. Let's get into the mission then. So um, first off, were you surprised that T'Pol asked Archer to go with her?
1: This being a season two episode, not really, because they had established uh, somewhat of a trust in that first, you know, 32 episodes that we'd seen them, with, seen them together. Had this had mm. this been, you know, like we said, you know, a place of Terra Nova, then it would be a little bit more, more surprising.
0: Do you think she just asked him because she started having those flashes of the memory? Because before that, she was not forthcoming with any information about the mission. So I don't think it was on her mind to ask for him to accompany her at first.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I definitely think the the memory, the memories coming back up were were influential in in her choice to go ahead and ask Archer to to join
0: her. She's asked Archer to come now. Archer is a pilot mm-hmm. uh, himself; that was his his main job before he became a captain. But Travis came along on this mission because Travis was flying the shuttle pod and such. Um, does it sort of strike you as weird they would still take Travis? Like, was Travis needed given Archer? He's a pilot.
1: (sighs) When I first saw the notes for this, I noticed that, and I've been thinking about it ever since, and waffling kind of back and forth. But I still think he was needed, um, you know, just in case, like, you know, with the scenes where Archer's trying to settle to pull down a little bit, somebody's got to keep an eye on Manos. Really did work better having three people there instead of the two.
0: Yeah, I think it should have been Reed, though. Yeah. Because once Archer was going down and they really had no need for it to be a the third person to be a pilot, specifically, because Archer could have done that. And I then think you take Reed as a tactical guy, because ultimately this is a tactical mission. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I feel it was... Don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining about Travis getting some time, because, you know, God bless him. Lord, Lord knows he needs it. <laughs> yeah, and he gets a good little spell, I think, in this period of Enterprise uh, where it was in the first half of Season 2, but You know, that's going to come to an end soon, (laughs) as we'll see. Uh, But, yeah, I think Reed would have been the logical uh, person to take with her. Were you surprised, though, that Starfleet so willingly helped the Vulcans uh, in this instance, even though they knew nothing? Or at least, if, like, Admiral Forrest did know anything, he wasn't sharing it with Archer.
1: See, the thing is, I don't think that they were so, it was so much a willing type of thing, but more of a, a coercion, like, hey... No, you guys need to do this for us, type of thing, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get you a little bit more technology. Sort of setting up ma- a possible quid pro quo.
0: So, I, I kind of spoke about this earlier, and I kind of want to go into it a bit more now. When Archer didn't know what the mission was, and all he knew was that he was being sent somewhere by Starfleet Command on at the Vulcan High Command's wishes, and Paul wasn't giving her much information, she was going to be taking Travis. What do we think of Archer's behavior during this? Particularly the scene where he's watching, I think he's watching the water polo uh, and he's throwing his ball around and Paul comes to visit him. I mean, for me, Archer's being a wanker. Yeah. Unprofessional. This this is not the Archer that we were used to seeing, I think, at this point.
1: Yeah, that definitely on that one. It was just like, okay, really, dude, I know you're upset because you're not getting into the information, but th- this is something I would expect out of Trip at this point in time, not you.
0: Yeah, I could see Trip being like that. I think Trip still was on a lot of stuff after this, wasn't he? But for Archer, he'd kind of... I feel like he kind of got past a lot of his ill... Not ill will towards the Vulcans, but any of his prejudice seemed to have sort of disappeared from his character by that point. We'd had Fallen Hero in season one, yeah. which I think was a, a bit of a game-changing episode for him. Even the Andorian incident was in many ways, for him, vindication that the Vulcans weren't all sweet and innocent. And I think that was almost like a... Uh, a cleansing effect for him as well. And I was really surprised at just how he was with Depaul. It, it was like Archer in Broken Bow yeah, with Depaul, you know, and the way Trip was uh, when they were being kind of jerkish with DePaul, uh early on in that episode. And I was a bit surprised. But uh, to be fair to Archer, he does come around in that scene and he becomes, when he realizes the severity of what's going on, he he does become much more genuine and things. But yeah, I was just disappointed with, with his reaction to her in that. It just didn't strike me as very uh, captainly yeah. of him. It's on the planet and you have to pardon me I don't remember the name of it but I mean what do we think of the location as a whole like the set design the alien outpost with um, the bar that most of the episode takes place in uh, how do we find that
1: definitely looked like they were running into a little bit of a budgetary issue and had to reuse the Rigel 10 set from Broken Bow
0: <laughs> well I was gonna that was what I was gonna ask was that you know did the bar bring back feelings of Archer and the team uh, uh, being out of their depth on Rigel 10 in Broken Bow, but yeah, the um, uh, the, it definitely sort of evoked those feelings, but, didn't it? Yeah, like which that vibe which I think they used that, that
1: same platform scene later on in season three, um, when they were trying to get information on on the Zindi home
0: world. Oh, the first episode, yeah. uh, of season three, yeah, uh, actually called the Zindi. You might be right on that one, actually. I have to check the trivia notes on on Memory Alpha <laughs> <laughs> see if there's any notes about it. Uh, yeah, I. I've always been a fan of Rigel 10 mm-hmm. in Broken Bow because it felt really alien in a way that, to me, Trek hadn't done for a while. Yeah. And, like, the trip and and Reed and Mayweather, like, their scenes in particular on the planet, it did feel like our heroes were the odd ones out, whereas in all the other Treks based in the future, humans were everywhere, yeah. you know? So it, it did sort of give that feeling, and that, that sense that when they are in the bar looking for uh, Menos... He kind of felt like our heroes were nobodies. Yeah, you know it was uh, they had no jurisdiction there. Two hundred years later, they could have probably taken control of the whole base for this mission because they're still they're the mighty Starfleet. But this was just like um, uh, I don't know. It just, it just felt very. I liked it. It's a bit cowboyish, a bit western feel to it. You know. Yeah, and I just always loved Vigil Ten. So I, I did like that. This sort of brought back uh, those vibes. Uh, so we've spoken his name a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Menos or Menos, I can't remember. Menos. Uh, so, just how good was Bruce Davison in this in this episode?
1: I really did enjoy his performance uh, as Menos. This is really honestly the only thing I really know him from.
0: Uh, I do believe he was in X-Men. Yeah. Off the top of my head, I think he plays the Senator. On
1: his uh, memory alpha page on Bruce Davison's mm. page. He mentioned that. So,
0: he's a good uh, he's a good actor. He just he has a, uh, trying. I I can't think of the word off the top of my head, but there's a, a sense of depth that he gives to his characters uh, and just his delivery. Like, there's a passion underneath everything. So even when he's doing, like, a guest role here, like, it's a one and done, you feel like he is Menos.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, like and, and that he's bringing this history to it. You know, I, I thought he was great in this, and he's always been a bit of a jerk in everything I've seen him in, actually. I, w- I want to see him be a, a good guy once in a while, but I, th- I thought Davison was really good here. So... Uh, until we realized that he was lying about uh, what he ships in and, and all that stuff. I mean, was Menos a sympathetic character?
1: Yeah, definitely the way that, that he was portrayed up until we, we you know realized that the lie that he was telling. I, I can say probably the first couple times I watched this episode, I definitely fell for
0: it. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. It was, uh, you know, did you believe the original story uh, that he told? I kind of was believing him because he seemed so genuine and because Bruce Davidson was so good. But I... I think I started to wonder when, you know, when he was saying to Paul that there's no way that the seventh one of the team would have pulled a weapon on her. And he was so adamant about it. And he's like, you know, he didn't deserve to die. I was kind of thinking, well, I don't believe Paul would have killed in cold blood. So I don't know if I trust your, you know, your description of this guy's character. So now I don't trust you. It was kind of what was going on with me. But, I mean, it was so believable. He, he seemed to have it all thought out. It's as if he knew exactly what he was going to say and do if ever he got caught again. And he just sort of channeled into it as they were going. I mean, were you a bit disappointed, though, with how he just became a typical villain as the episode went on?
1: Yeah, I I think if it was written today for, say, like, you know, Discovery or Picard or even Lower Decks, um, they definitely would have made him, you know, less of the the typical villain and more like, you know, sort of like an anti-hero or, you know, something along the lines of, I guess, maybe Joker and, and Dark Knight.
0: Yeah, they did definitely, at least in the first two thirds of the episode, they did put him in that gray zone. Mm-hmm. And you're questioning whether or not, you know, your heroes are,
1: are doing the right thing.
0: Yeah, doing the right thing, and I think to Paul even at the end is wondering that. But I did feel like the switch to make him into just the cardboard cutout villain at the end—it felt like it was trying to find a way to justify to Paul bringing him in. Yeah, you know, and justify her shooting him. It was like, well, we can't have to Paul do this if if there's any doubt about this guy. Which would have maybe been more interesting because as Archer's saying to her in that final bit, you know, your your mission is to bring him in. Not to judge. Him. Yeah, and you're not the one deciding his fate. You've just been tasked bringing him in. Now that would have. Hit much harder, I think, if we genuinely still had no idea whether uh, Menos was telling the truth or not. It was just there to protect Paul and Archer, to be honest. And what how does that feel when you find out he's lying? Does it feel like a gut punch? Because I even now, when I rewatch it, and I know he's lying, when you get to that moment though, and you realise that uh, he's doing exactly what the Vulcans believed he was up to, it's kind of like, oh man, yeah, <laughs> you know, I was like, God, I really wanted this guy to be telling the truth, but now he's now he's really. He's really in for it now. I mean, was that, was that a, uh, a punch in the stomach for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, over time, you know, and rewatches, it doesn't affect me as much, but it's still there. Maybe like, you know, 10, 20 years in the future, it, it won't affect me. But definitely right now, I'm still feeling, feeling betrayed by him.
0: <laughs> so where is he now then? Because I wasn't really sure what was going to happen to him when he went back. What, what do you think the Vulcans, and we've talked about these pre-Kashara Vulcans, what would they have done with him?
1: I wouldn't be surprised if they took him to the gem and, you know, just wiped all his memories.
0: I was going to say, it's some kind of conversion therapy thing, which, you know, has been trending today for the sheer evilness of it, really, and how it's been, uh, how how it's utilized. But I guess the Vulcans may have potentially done something similar with Minos. Would they have, I don't know what they're like, the Vulcans, would they have, like, changed his appearance back to Vulcan, even without his permission which seems a real violation doesn't it yeah
1: then again we are we are, we are dealing with our uh, pre-kirshara strain of vulcan
0: <laughs> <laughs> the strain of vulcan yeah okay so i i've got one thing i want to raise because it yeah. really kind of it annoys me even now and you can see it in the notes yep. <laughs> the acid on the landing area was supposedly half an inch thick this is what the uh, whatever you want to call the guy in uh, who's in charge of the base after he checked that the papers to arrest Menos were legit he confirmed it he basically said you can't go anywhere for a while though because we've currently got an acid on the docking area which you can't walk on it's half an inch thick It's gonna, it'll burn your feet off you you have to wait so when Topol is starting to have a bit of a breakdown decides she wants to go and check his ship how does she <laughs> <laughs> how does she walk across it when all she did was take off what the some, some like, of the straps that yeah, were around so Menos? Yes the belt strappings <laughs> Yeah, which are about a millimeter or two thick, looking at it. And all she does is wrap them around her, her shoes. And really, it only kind of wraps around twice. Yeah. And then she just goes out, and she just walks across the acid. I can't make sense out of this. If they could just do that all along, why will not they just do that? Yeah. Why don't they just all do it?
1: This is definitely one of those for nitpickers guide to Star Trek Enterprise.
0: I know, and I generally I give a free pass on most nitpicking. But this one was frustrating because... The reason they were still in that bar was because they, they apparently could not walk. Yeah, they could not walk on that acid in any way. And then she just gets such thin... It's like a, a seatbelt. Yeah, basically. basically <laughs> thickness. And somehow, even though it's not even covering the whole bottom of her shoe, it's protecting her shoe. But also, we're saying it's acid. So acid would uh, just dissolve all that. <laughs> yeah, so that wouldn't make any difference anyway. So... Like, it would be gone and as soon as she steps out on there. That's, that seatbelt thickness thing's going to, yeah, disappear. Yeah, an annoying little thing, that, which could have been easily fixed. I'm going to assume it's down to production fault other than the right like, not the writing. Because I imagine the writing in the script was quite clear Yeah, as to what the situation was. So, you know, it's down on the production designer.
1: And maybe the way that they're, they were trying to justify it is that it was a couple hours, you know into the process whenever it was almost over and so it wasn't as thick I'm not
0: you having know that. <laughs> <laughs> you've had, you've tried to head cannon it fair play to you uh, fair play to you it was very silly though i thought yeah we talked just a moment ago about what would have happened to menos now and we talked about maybe the vulcans would have erased his memories so let's talk about that uh you know how do we feel about the vulcans choosing to erase memories of actions that they've carried out. So Tapal, I believe, chooses yeah. to remove her memory of the person she killed. So she even now doesn't remember um, if he was reaching for that, that weapon or not. How do we feel about that? For a people who, even even now, you know, pre-Kishara, uh, who allegedly are in control of their emotions and uh, find a, a calm mental state, a balance that guides them i mean they erase their memories that draw emotions does that feel like a thing the vulcans would do
1: i think if yeah, because it, it just kind of goes for me it shows that you know there are vulcans that have different differing degrees of the ability to kind of repress those emotions and since this was a really strong you know emotional connection and the fact that full was also younger at the time and maybe not quite as in control of her mental capabilities as she is presently, that she would need, to need you know, sort of help. And maybe this is one of those things to do just on, say, Vulcans that are in in our terms, like, you know, in their 20s.
0: I guess it kind of backs up the Vulcans in general managing to be so calm and collected about even traumatic things in their lives that we've seen in, uh, in later treks, because, you know, if they're able to just erase those memories... Then I guess that's one way the Vulcans have maintained uh, logic and a lack of violence on their homeworld for for two thousand years. But it just strikes me that that kind of means the whole thing is based on a lie because you're having to erase experiences yeah. from your memory to be able to maintain the uh, the status quo. And yeah, and I'm surprised at it. And also, I'm wondering how they do it. I can't remember if they say in the episode, but you'd think initially, oh, mind meld. But we know mind melds weren't uh, were not approved of. At this point, so and we know T'Pol had never had a mind meld Yeah. Uh, before. Gosh, the episode name has just completely escaped me. Impulse, yeah. I was oh, Impulse I think season so. five, uh, season three episode. Five, I'm not sure. Um uh, Yeah, so we uh, we know she's had a mind meld before. So, you know, how do you think they did it? <laughs> what I'd, process?
1: I'd say probably something similar to the way that they you know took Spock's Katra out of McCoy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess. I didn't really thought about that. It does become harder to explain, doesn't it, when the mind melt's taken off the table? Yeah. <laughs> when Because I guess for the Vulcans, I mean, in any telepathic race, that, you know, if you do have any sort of psychic or telepathic abilities and such, you probably, if you could erase painful memories, you probably would, wouldn't you? Yeah. So I guess I can understand it. I'm not sure if it's in sync with what we know about the Vulcans, but maybe it adds that extra layer to them that they do that. Let's talk about Captain Trip then. He almost got best moment of the episode. Yes, yes, for that. almost. Scene in the mess hall. Uh, damn your coin toss. How do we find this whole B plot of the episode where the Vulcans ship show up and want to speak to Archer, and Trip is trying to find any reason to not have to speak to them? And he poses as Archer, and it turns out it's just to do with a uh, a score, I think it was. Yeah, from, for for a polo uh, match. Yeah, I mean, uh, was this? Did it go? Well, the episode did it change the tone positively for you?
1: I did enjoy enjoy the whole, you know, trip as captain B plot. He's definitely not ready for the big chair at this point in time because you know he's he's saying he'll he'll get back to everybody and tell them later. Still, kind of trying to differentiate himself from being, you know, the chief engineer and
0: acting captain. Yeah, I thought it was very Trip-like that he was trying to have fun with the sort of few days of being being the captain. Yeah, uh, it, it made me think that Trip would eventually never want to be a captain from his experiences uh, that he he would never try try for it. But yeah, I thought it went well the the episode because it was quite you know it was, it was quite serious down on the planet. So this little bit of comedy kind of offset that quite well. I thought so. I'd like to know, Chris, your final thoughts on the seventh
1: definitely a good good episode like we were discussing had it been a season one episode would have definitely been a lot stronger maybe a little bit more memorable in people's minds but it's definitely definitely one of the best of season two
0: yeah i think it's one of the more shocking episodes of like backstory reveals for one of the characters and you know i think for paul and archer Mm -hmm. i think this was a really key episode for them i know i spoke about you know archer was pretty unprofessional in the early stage of the episode. But that aside, I mean, this is one of the, I think, the key episodes for Archer and T'Pol. As they were kind of moving away from that romantic interest side of things, uh, this was like a very just professional, but also showed an emotional reliance on Archer from T'Pol's side as well. And it kind of, only two episodes later, was starting to... But maybe repair the damage of a knight in sickbay which is the fifth episode of season two which tried to suggest that the archer and to relationship was based on a need to have sex with each other rather than uh, work with each other so i feel like this kind of was a back on track episode i said i would have preferred it in season one early on uh, for, just for placement i think it could have made some interesting changes to, to, to paul that would have had an actual lasting impact but a nice story and another sort of look back at Vulcans, uh, uh, just not the completely innocent species that we uh, we thought they they were uh, at this point. Whether or not Menos was the good guy or bad guy you know, the Vulcans, it's surprising that they were doing what they were doing and wanting to pull everyone back. Why couldn't Menos just stay, stay out there, you know? So, yeah, I mean, this is a, a good episode for me. I don't know if I, I would put it as one of the best of the season, like you would, but it's definitely in the top half for me. As we rewatch season two... We've done a lot of season two on this show. I realize just how good season two is. You'll go online and you'll see some people say how season two was slow and dragged and like. But when we do our our roadmap of like what episodes we're going to cover and when, it's amazing how many season two episodes come up. And um, you watch them and you're just like, holy crap, this episode is great. I think season two is like the. I think it's got a bad rep for, for no reason. Um, and as proven with this episode, I think.
1: I think I think it's it's because of episodes like, you know, uh Night and Sick Bay and-
0: Precious Cargo, maybe. Even though I enjoy it. But yeah, you're right. But you for every one of them you got a regeneration, cogenitor, the Expanse. um what else have we got? Judgment, uh, Dead Stop, Minefield, yeah. Carbon Creek, the Communicator, Horizon there's gold in this season uh, so yeah that's it for for our discussion of the seventh i hope you guys listening uh, have watched it recently as well and in enjoy it please let us know what you think of the episode on any of our social media platforms you're about to get hit with a little audio of where to follow us uh, on twitter instagram uh, facebook don't forget uh, you can get some perks by subscribing to our patreon which is patreon.com forward slash nx01 podcast that includes early access Two episodes so you can be one week ahead of uh, all other listeners and you can engage with myself and chris on there as well and have a say in what we cover sometimes when we do patron choice uh, weeks so yeah please do do that please take care live long and prosper and as chris
1: as you would say keep your shirts on the expanse A Star Trek Enterprise podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Chris Hill, and Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from the experience, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at NX01Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at TheChrisHill, and Kyle on Twitter at KyleThomasWest. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thanks for listening and until next time keep shirts on
0: This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media Computer,
1: list other available Hollow Suite media programs.
0: Loading Holosuite preview program for her first Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. For the first time ever, this is a breakthrough moment. Okay, you ready? Oh gosh, okay. Can I swear? Yes. I give a shit about one of the characters, which oh, is nice well. because I don't normally. Which character do you give a shit about? O'Brien. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah, I thought it was mighty decent of him what he did, and he knew that he could have gotten in trouble. And he seems quite a loyal person to
0: have aboard your space station. He's a decent ship. guy. Yeah. He's Irish. Um, yeah. A lot of Irish people are decent guys.
1: I haven't met that many Irish people.
0: I met loads. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4. Random Trek Review. A Star Trek Review Podcast.
1: Okay, well, I, it's one of those things where, like, you would expect, like, as medical history gets better and everything, like, life expectancy gets longer. Just like we have experienced in our own kind of world and planet right like it's way better now than it was 50 years ago versus 100 versus 200 so versus 5,000 years ago where you'd be lucky to live to like 30 yeah exactly <laughs> we'd already be done and dusted my friend well or we'd be super old right we'd be like the village elders
0: <laughs> loading holosuite preview program for ladies trek library a podcast by women with a passion for star trek books
1: the author of this book, Dana Kramer Rolls, this is the only Star Trek book she's ever written, which would explain why I've never okay. read anything from her before.
0: Yeah, I, think I heard that she did write some other sci-fi books, but no other Star Trek. Yeah, and she does seem like like she's a fan. It's, from the way she handled the characters, I I would say she is a fan of Star Trek.
1: Yeah, I definitely got the feeling that she was a fan um, and knew the characters. She has a Ph.D. in folklore and history of religions, Cool. so that makes sense.